so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Is there a cough button on this thing? <coughs> you jumping in right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I needed to clear my throat and I have no, no other good. way to do it. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today, as always, are my faithful and amazing co-host. I will start with Lindsay Nicolay. Hello, everyone. We missed you last week. I was going to commiserate for just a minute. It was probably good that I wasn't on because I was... I had the plague. The RSV is going around and my whole family got it. And it was not fun. Yeah, I didn't even know RSV is a thing adults get. So Lindsay, I'm glad you're, you know, still with us. And this is totally Mm -hmm. my fault because I was supposed to say two weeks ago, oh yeah, we're not going to do a show next week because Brent and I are both going to be on vacation. But we still went on vacation even though we forgot to tell you about. But Brent is, uh, he's back and ready to go. So Brent, say hello. Hello, friends. I'm glad to be back in the saddle with the both of y'all. Well, man, we are glad to have you back. And uh, full disclosure for our audience, no surprise to them. We're recording this on Friday. We normally record on Thursdays. So we're going to try to keep this brief so that we can hopefully get it to you before next podcast uh, is the next podcast is recorded. So, Lindsay, so that we can get into it, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. First off, I want to highlight an article by Candace Waters, and it's titled, Do You Need a Digital Reset? A Better Approach to Screen Time After the Pandemic. If you are anything like my family, we had a lot of screen time during the pandemic. We have two small kids. I just felt like there was no other way for us to make it through except for watching a lot of Coco Melon and a lot of Peppa Pig. So Candace calls us to reevaluate our screen time habits, uh, to think about ways that we can point our children to use these devices Uh, with more discipline and in more life-giving ways. So she just encourages us with several things. Meet with God before we meet with people. Study the Bible and pray together as a family. Use screens in community. Model as parents what you require and put screens to bed early. These are just some suggestions she gives us. And so I would encourage you to check out this article, pray about how the Lord would have you use screens in your family so that uh, you are not dominated by them, but you exercise dominion over those screens and use them for your good. The second article I want to highlight is by our acting president, Daniel Patterson, Uh, And it is titled, Why and How Reading Shapes Your Soul. And I love this because he is highlighting how um, some professors in seminary 
said that one of the biggest problems that most preachers have is that they don't read enough fiction. And obviously, I am not a preacher, nor do I aspire to be, but I have tried to read more fiction recently to cultivate my imagination, and it's been so much fun. And it sometimes I feel guilty because it's not uh, they're not classic works. But as Daniel said, stories that we read in fiction books speak our soul's native language because being made in God's image, we're hardwired, as he says, by God to be drawn toward narrative. So he points out that reading these stories uh, sneak past our fallen soul's defenses and help us to evaluate what's going on in our hearts. So I would encourage you again to check this out and to look on our site for other articles about reading and for some good suggestions of fiction books that you can pick up to start cultivating your imagination and, as Daniel says, to sneak past your soul's defenses. And then finally, we have an article by Hannah Anderson. She is just a phenomenal author. Her books are beautifully written, and it's titled, At What Age Should We Baptize Our Children? A Case for Baptizing Those Who Make a Credible Profession of Faith. So there are different stances on this, even within the Southern Baptist Convention, among our fellow brothers and sisters. Some think that you should wait until your children are older. Others, um, like Hannah, say, wait a minute, God works among children at whatever age He deems fit. And so there are probably young children who are making credible professions of faith that we should allow to go under the waters of baptism and come back up to proclaim and symbolize that they have been buried with Christ in His death and raised to walk in the newness of life. And she goes on in her article to just point out what children represent, the childlike faith that God has called us to have, and that a child's faith, just like an adult's faith, is going to start out young and is not going to look mature, but that our faith grows as we grow in Christ and as we age and as we get older. And then she talks about the risk of not baptizing those who have made a credible profession of faith. And then she goes on to give some first steps. Honor and accept your child's faith. If your child does make a profession of faith, recognize that they don't naturally know the next steps. And then most importantly, recognize that when a child professes faith and is eventually baptized, their journey is only beginning. Now, in the future, a sneak peek, we're going to have an article by someone who has a different point of view and is going to share that But for now, I would recommend Hannah's article, especially if you are a parent with small children who has made a profession of faith, so that you can glean some wisdom from her advice and pray about what the Lord would have you do as far as next steps with your children. Thanks for that, Lindsay. The the piece by Candace, it comes at an interesting time. One of our other colleagues had shared an article written by a contributor at The Atlantic news outlet that was talking about why she needed to get off Twitter. Because basically everything in her mind was being synthesized down to tweetable thoughts, which is just, you know, that's not helpful for a writer. And actually to tie into uh, some of the stuff that Daniel was talking about in his piece, like it's it's not good for, I think, any of us as we are either just trying to think about the world largely or for, for our pastors that are in our audience that are trying to, you know, come up with the various things that they want to use as illustrations uh, for their congregations. And, 
you know, I've I've actually been wrestling with that myself recently. Is you know, do I just need a a complete digital reset? I'm not on Facebook. That's more because of some of the stuff that I saw uh, back when I, I worked in in politics uh, after the 2010 election. I just didn't want to be on Facebook anymore. And honestly, I'm finding an increasingly less – I don't know if that's right to put those two words together, but I'm seeing less and less value um, being on Twitter uh, just because, honestly, so much of it is just – Warring. I originally liked being on Twitter because of the information value that it provided, particularly for breaking news events. But now even the breaking news events themselves are being like politicized and warred over. And it's just it's just not helpful for, honestly, my soul. I think it's interesting that several really smart folks are thinking about these things at about the same time. I think that's really good, Brent. And obviously the digital age has created a kind of exhaustion and in some cases toxicity, especially when it comes to something like Twitter. We experienced that also on Facebook. It's why a lot of us for a while retreated to Instagram because it was just a place where you post pictures of your food or your families. And, you know, that's just a better way to interact with people most of the time instead of worrying about politics or religion or any of the other thousand things we find to fight about. Lindsay, I also really appreciated this article about baptism because I think it's important, especially for parents. One of our jobs, you know, as as the ERLC is to help equip uh, Christians particularly Christian parents, to uh, to think about all the ways the gospel applies to life. And certainly as Baptists, baptism is one of the most important things uh, that we do in our faith and practice. And so there's a lot of questions about when is the right age for children to be baptized. And there are good thoughts on both sides of this, whether we should do it immediately or whether there's wisdom in delaying. And so, uh, like you said, we, we heard uh, from Hannah one side of that argument. We look forward to uh, presenting kind of another perspective soon. But I think this is really important because, you know, with my own kids, my, my greatest prayer for them that I pray every single day is that they will come to a saving faith in Jesus. But that but that prayer is met with, okay, and what does it look like for me to teach them how to faithfully follow Jesus? And, and part of that is going to be uh, being baptized. And so this is an important thing uh, for me to think about personally. And, and I know for, you know, thousands and thousands of other people uh, to think about as well. So I really appreciate you putting that right in front of us. Thank you for those additional thoughts, guys. And Yeah, I am so thankful. All the credit goes to the channel editors that we have who are so fabulous and acquire so many great articles and have great ideas. And and it's just a team effort to be able to present our listeners and our readers to the church with articles that will help them to faithfully walk in a way that brings their Christian convictions to bear on the cultural, moral, and ethical issues of our day. But for now, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that brings us to the culture section for the week. So Brent, tell us what's going on in the world of culture. All right, so we begin this week with shocking news out of Haiti. The Associated Press reports that 17 suspects have been detained so far in the stunning assassination of Haiti's president. And Haitian authorities say two are believed to hold dual U.S.-Haitian citizenship. And Colombia's government says at least six are former members of its army. Uh, The new interim president, uh, Joseph, decreed a two-week state of siege after the assassination, which stunned a nation already in crisis from some of the Western Hemisphere's worst poverty, widespread violence, and political instability. You know, I'm, I remember last summer that Dr. Moore said very clearly that political violence should never be condoned. And thankfully, here in America, we have not experienced anything like this in, you know, a generation. 
But this is just uh, another example of individuals thinking they have no recourse and, and clearly thinking that political violence, in this case, the worst kind of political violence is somehow justifiable. Well, and it always has consequences beyond what those people might think. And this is just a a small example, but it's crazy how it hits close to home. My friend, whose husband is a pastor here locally, just outside of Nashville, he he has a team there in Haiti while this has happened. Now the airport is closed down and they're safe, thankfully, doing some ministry work, but they're, they're there and they're stuck. And I just can't imagine the fear in the hearts of their family members here in the United States uh, as they wait to see what's going to unfold and what's going to happen. And, and Haiti is still dealing with the after effects of that huge earthquake that hit there. I, I mean, as Christians, our thoughts, our prayers especially, uh, need to be for the people of Haiti because this is— This is a tumultuous time uh, for that nation. All right, moving on to the COVID front. Uh, This next section actually kind of combines three different stories. So we'll begin also with the Associated Press. Nearly all COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. now are people who weren't vaccinated. A staggering demonstration of how effective the shots have been and an indication that deaths per day, now uh, under 300, could be practically zero if everyone eligible got the vaccine. Focusing in on the state of Maryland, the Baltimore Sun just recently reported of the nearly 100 people who died of COVID-19 in Maryland in the month of June, all of them were not vaccinated against the disease, state health officials say. And in addition to that, 95% of newly infected people in Maryland and 93% of those requiring hospitalization were also unvaccinated. So this goes along with reporting that came from the USA Today this week that says a study published Thursday in the journal Nature found that a single dose of Pfizer or the AstraZeneca vaccines barely inhibited the new Delta variant, which first arose in India. However, a second dose generated a neutralizing response in 95% of individuals, even if it was a little less potent than earlier versions of the virus. So uh, this to me is just once again confirmation that these vaccines are honestly they're a, they're a scientific miracle and and I I would say that they are a blessing. There's no doubt that that's uh, that that's right. And I have been watching especially the the Delta variant with a lot of questions. Uh, but the the really positive thing is this the signs that I've seen uh, tell us that even for those who are vaccinated, this is your very best chance uh, to to avoid any serious complications from the coronavirus. And it is still uh, it is still a but the miracle that we have them and urgent that people receive the vaccine, not just here in the United States, but around the world. Well, so speaking of COVID, that takes us to the next story. Our friends over in Japan are experiencing a major spike in COVID cases. And so because of that, the 2020 Olympics that are taking place now in 2021 they're going to feel like 2020 all over again. So Axios is reporting the Summer Olympics in Tokyo begin two weeks from today, and Japan's state of COVID emergency is just the latest problem for these postponed 2020 games. Athletes will now be in empty venues during the biggest moments of their lives because fans are going to be barred from entering the venues. They were already prepared for family to be absent, but at least limited fans would have approximated a normal environment, and that is no longer going to be the case. Broadcasters and sponsors are all having to readjust plans uh, for these 2020 Olympics. And Lindsay, I know as the big Olympic fan that you are, this has got to be a little disappointing. It's disappointing for me. 
Yes, that is disappointing. And it reminds me of my husband and I like to watch America's Got Talent. And we tried to watch it last year when there were no fans, and it was a miserable experience. It was not the same. So I'm really concerned that it might be the same with the Olympics. However, nursing moms are allowed to bring their babies. They did change those rules. All right. So for our final story, we have a winner. CNN is reporting that Zayla Avant-Garde, a 14-year-old from New Orleans, Louisiana, won the 2021 Scripps National Spelling Bee on Thursday becoming the first African-American contestant to win in 93 years of the competition. Zayla triumphed after correctly spelling Mariah, a type of tree, to clinch the championship. To get there, the teen had to navigate her way through words like querimonious. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can't even pronounce this next Solid word. ungulate? Solid ungulate? Solid ungulate? And... Nepeta, a word the teen had to reset on and let out a joyous jump after her correct spelling. She will receive a $50,000 cash prize. Honestly, if I say those words correctly, I'm going to let out a joyous jump. But uh, congratulations to Zayla. That is always actually a really interesting thing uh, that you, you see on ESPN. And those kids, I mean, they have nerves of steel to be able to compete in that environment. I just want to say how impressive that is. And uh, I appreciate us. Brent, I appreciate you just martyring yourself on the uh, pronunciation there just to just to, <laughs> de- just to demonstrate the absolute <laughs> spectacular nature of a feat like that. So for us, uh, man, I'm just glad. I'm glad it was none of us. I'm especially glad it wasn't me. I'm going to have to look up some of the definitions. of. of I know. Bright. Exactly. Side <laughs> note. What what a great last name. Yeah, exactly. Avant-garde. Avant-garde. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's up there with Nicolay, and it's, uh, you know, French It is origins. up there with Nicolay, yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, Single girls, right, well, find yourself a husband who will give you a good last name. <laughs> That's something I've never had to think about. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, Lindsay, Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things we've been talking about with one another. Lindsay, you're up first this week, so tell us what's on your mind. So I was super excited because I was going to write on my calendar that July 11th marked the beginning of season two of Ted Lasso. You've heard us talk about this. Our interview with David Frenchy talked about it. Ted Lasso just turned out to be this delightful show on Apple TV. Uh, it There is some viewer discretion as far as some of the language that they use. Uh, but Ted Lasso is just this this delightful character who is kind and thoughtful and... Uh, doesn't have a trace of cynicism <laughs> and doesn't have a trace of cynicism in him. And it has been a show that has uh, come out into the world at a time when we most needed it because our culture is filled with all of those opposite things. So uh, season two is coming out, but not July 11th, July 23rd. But I still had to point it out because then... Fast forward to around July 23rd, I probably won't remember to tell you about Ted Lasso because I'll be talking about the Olympics because we've been waiting an extra year. They start the 23rd and I'm so excited. So I just want to give a big retweet to the Ted Lasso thing. Obviously, as Christians, we have to place disclaimers on things. Not all of the content is is wholesome and wonderful, but... Ted Lasso is this unflappable character. He's happy all the time, and he gives. It is just refreshing to watch something where there's somebody who just wants to be optimistic and, and believe the best about people. And, and 
that life can be good. And so anyway, really looking forward to to season two. Uh, for my lunchroom this week, I'll just say well, I was on vacation with my family last week. We had a blast. It was all kinds of uh, highs and highlights. But one of the thing, uh, w- one of the things we did is we took our son, who is about to turn eight years old, and we took her to, or we took him. Sorry, <laughs> I'll just reset that. We, we do t- not believe in those things, right. Josh. Here, the URLC. I'm getting text messages about her right now. We took our son, who's turning eight years old soon, uh, to this water park where they had this outdoor, uh, basically obstacle course, and it was really, really fantastic. It was on the water, but you're you're doing the obstacle course, and the youngest age they let you do it is, is when you're seven. And so he was the youngest kid, uh, one of the youngest kids out there, and and watching him uh, try to struggle through this obstacle course, which really was very challenging at, at times, uh, was just one of those things that was just a proud dad moment for me. So I'm not bringing something to, to the lunchroom that's like, uh, here's what you can use for your life, but it was one of those things. It made me stop and appreciate just God's grace in getting to be a father and to try to raise my children and to watch them grow because it was one of those moments where I realized, man, this is a major kind of transition point for him where he goes from being a, a little boy uh, to being being a young man and to really starting to, like I'm realizing that uh, it won't be that much longer before he is out in the world on his own. And I know he's only, he's only seven turning eight, but, uh, I just want to cherish this time and, and really invest in his life. And so anyway, it was just one of those things that it was so much more than just a day at the water park for me. It was kind of this, uh, this major marker uh, of my family's life and in my own life as, as a, as a dad and as a father, or I guess the same thing, but my own life as a, <laughs> as a, as a dad. <laughs> and you do, you do both of those really well, Josh. Well, I, I appreciate that. I try hard. All right. Well, mine uh, mine comes from uh, the Washington Examiner news outlet, and I think it's very appropriate uh, that we are talking here in the the wake of the Independence Day holiday, when Americans of all stripes, all backgrounds, come together to celebrate the founding of our country. And um, the reality is, the current moment that we're living in is very divided. And I read and heard about this poll on a podcast that came out recently that actually measured this. And I was just fascinated by it. So uh, from this article, it says more than the coronavirus surging inflation and crime, political division is the biggest issue facing the nation. Yet most voters, yet most voters believe it is here to stay. According to the just issued battleground poll, division ranks a 73 out of 100 and 32 percent of voters rank it as their top issue. The second is government spending. The Georgetown University Institute of Politics and Public Service sponsored the survey and also found that voters would like political leaders to join to agree on issues, but that they also believe that that won't happen. Uh, So for me, that's just really interesting that that here we have uh, voters telling pollsters they actually want to see compromise. As a matter of fact, Voters were then issued a follow-up question. Would you rather see your leaders compromise, even if it means compromising on, on something that you know you, you feel very strongly about in order to get results? Or would you rather them to stick to exactly what you f- feel strongest about and it means nothing gets done? And the vast majority of voters chose option one. Like there's a there's a pathway there. Uh, towards our system maybe starting to work again. And I thought it was really interesting. Most voters wanted to see compromise on kind of uh, economic issues, infrastructure issues, uh, moving a f- moving forward with kind of 
your hard projects, they did not want compromise on uh, social issues, um, you know, things like abortion, marriage, et cetera. But there's a pathway there for things actually getting done. And I just think that's interesting. And, and maybe it's something that our, our leaders uh, will listen to. Brent, that's super interesting. And honestly, it's the uh, first time for me hearing about this poll uh, that measures civility. And it does seem to be, uh, it's obviously something that we should care about. And thinking about just, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, just the the toxic nature of a lot of our discourse. Uh, this is something that I think that Christians especially should should be interested in. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. As always, I want to say thanks so much for listening. It is such a pleasure to get to hang out with you guys every single week. If you like the show and want to help us spread the word, please consider going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. Uh, or also go on social media and just share this episode. It obviously helps people discover the show, and we are always grateful for the feedback that we get. So uh, until next week, we just want to say thanks so much uh, for listening. We look forward to being back with you once again with more content. Okay, goodbye, everybody. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.